Welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. I am your host, Josh Peterson. Thanks for being here as always. Today is August the 7th of 2019, and today is the start of the United States uh, National Surf Lifesaving Competition. I've been fortunate enough to have had a couple podcast episodes with some of the top competitors uh, in the country, Ryan Praz, April Gorman. And today we're continuing that theme with Amanda Calabrese, a world-class competitor in the sport. Now, Amanda takes us through her days being a junior lifeguard in Montauk, New York, finding her passion for competing at a high level, which she is today, and her path leading to being a member of the U.S. National Surf Lifesaving Team competing on the world stage. We talk about the fringe nature of the sport, the supportive community of competitors within the sport, and the gender equality natural to surf lifesaving in general. Um, Amanda shares stories of her mentors who have helped push her along the way and her philosophy towards the mental aspect of competing. Amanda also shares her love for training the next generation of junior guard groms, including my own daughters, and balancing her own training for both prone board racing and beach flags while building her startup tempo that's driving to empower women through higher performance feminine products. We hear of Amanda's training with the Australian elite, competing on the world stage, and great connection with Beale Surf Rescue to help push the sport forward with innovative new equipment design and Grom training. Really great perspective from a young lady that's just crushing it in the water, on the beach, and in life in general. Now, if everybody's getting out, having some fun in the water, and reducing our plastic usage, and with that, let's get into the ocean life of Amanda Calabrese. You're right in the middle of a pretty fun, uh, busy time of year with competing on the beach. You know, you just got back from regionals and you're heading out to nationals. So, man, how are you keeping it all together? <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, every summer is like this. It's always crazy. I grew up on the East Coast and we have so many competitions, maybe not as many um, as California, but, you know, it's just the there's always that balance between working super, super hard and, and racing super, super hard all summer. And I'm not doing the same work that I usually do when I'm home on the East coast, but mm. you know, just keeping busy is kind of the norm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been at in this routine for, for many years. So you're, you're used to it. <laughs> many years. I got my first job at 13 years old and I started juniors when I was seven. So the two have kind of molded together and so yeah yeah how cool especially i mean so how many years have you been at this like competing on the beach if you started when you're seven i mean is it what it's been 15 plus years yeah so i'm 21 so yeah yeah that's killer that's killer so so like starting with today you know like we just we we're just talking about regionals or here you know for folks listening here we are in california and every summer there's regional competitions between different beaches competing and the lifeguards you know the, the higher level folks and we just had that last week um last friday um and down in carpinteria kind of near southern california and i was down there with my children and, and you were down there so how did it go for you competing it was amazing. I've always wanted to come out to California regionals, even as like a little East Coaster. And it was amazing that this year it really lined up. It just it just made sense. I mean, I'm, I'm living in San Francisco. I just moved to San Francisco after graduation. I've been spending a lot of time with the kids in Santa Cruz. And so not only did this year just kind of line up with where I was living, but it also kind of lined up with where my community is at the moment. And mm. so it just it was right it just was the right thing i drove down and and worked with the kids a little bit on the friday before um and then saturday was just awesome i mean some of my closest friends in my entire life are from la county or cal state from newport beach and santa barbara and santa cruz and and so it was amazing to show up there and everyone be like wait what are you doing here and then be like oh wait you live in California now. That was uh -huh. really cool. And these are people who you have these friendships with from competing like on the national scene. So you being on the East Coast, these folks you mentioned being on the West Coast, you would like connect once a year or something in nationals, but now here you are in California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been going to the nationals since 2009. And I mean, I made my first junior national team in 2014 and every year 
those friendships have become stronger and stronger. So that's with people like Jenna Solberg and Kelsey Cummings and Hayden Hemmins, people that I raced with abroad and get to see at nationals every year. And and I don't get to see them that much during the year, but you get a pretty strong bond when you race overseas together. And so that's pretty unbreakable. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So then uh, recently, or in general, actually, so what events do you compete in? And then how did you do in, in the regionals just last week? Yeah, so my main events, if you ask me, I'll say my main event is the board race, of course, but you can't forget about mm. beach flags. Uh, <laughs> I just love paddling. And but I, I kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, when I was younger, I was an iron woman and just kind of went after everything and I swam. Um, and then as I got older, I tried to specialize. But regionals was a really special race for me because I got to do everything. Um, and every, it went better than I expected. Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I've been working my butt off in the city. And so I was very, very pleasantly surprised that yeah. paddling a board and paddling a ski was kind of just like jumping right back on a bicycle. Um, and so I ended up, I took the win in flags, which was really exciting. And nice. I ended up second in the board race. Uh, behind my idol and friend Jenna Solberg and then ended up taking a fifth in the ski and an eighth in the Iron Woman which was wow. just icing on the cake and all my friends from Stanford drove up for the day they're all from LA and they they drove up for the race and they were like watching the Iron Woman like oh my god why would you do that to yourself <laughs> That's cool. And are these and your friends from Stanford, and we'll get into this too with with why you're so busy this summer, not training but working building a company. Um but so were your friends from Stanford like were they like, you know, competitors also or they like they probably knew you're up to but then having to see you do this stuff firsthand was that something new for them? So new for them. I mean, some of them did high school sports, but none of them were collegiate athletes and Yeah. They'd always known what I was up to. I always talked about it in passing at school, but it was kind of never my focus. Yeah. And they'd always, yeah, they had always like known what it was and whatever. But this was the first time that they actually got to see a race. Right. Um, and they were just in awe. They were like, this is what you do. Yeah. This is insane. <laughs> Which is hilarious. It is hilarious. And I was, I was, um, speaking with April Gorman last night and we, and we we touched on this like the fringe nature of competitive surf lifesaving and fringe like for the states anyway right Australia is different it's a national like pastime it's way different but here even like yesterday we had here in Santa Cruz our, our Nor NorCal competition and it's this local beaches it's four or five beaches but it's on the boardwalk beach right the boardwalk's this major tourist attraction tourist trap here in Santa Cruz and so inevitably you're standing there cheering for the kids and somebody walks up to you who's not from Santa Cruz, that's fine, mm -hmm. has never seen this stuff before. And they're just like, their jaw is on the ground when they see these like, you know, 12-year-old girls sandy and wet and shivering lining up in the beach to go, you know, paddle or something. And they go, what is this? They're just like tripping out, you know. And so it's really cool when somebody who's never been exposed to this sees it and they go, holy shit, this is pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, it was, they were, I mean... I get that all the time. When we did the beach flags for the first time under the lights in Daytona Beach. So this was 2015 was the first time that they had done it in like that stadium right off of the boardwalk. That was oh, the first cool. year I won the national title. And there were people, there were lifeguards around, of course, and they were the rowdiest yellers and cheers. But what I noticed the most were the people that had never seen the sport before bringing their kids up to me being like, this is my child. Like, can you tell me how she can do what you just did? And uh, I was like, you go talk to that person over there tomorrow morning and sign up for the junior lifeguard program. Yeah. And I, this is really the core and the essence of what this sport in America means, not only to me, but I think just what it, I always like to say that surf lifesaving is the only sport in the world with a uh, parallel humanitarian mission. And yeah. what I mean by yeah. that is alongside the competitive nature of the sport is this commitment to 
um, very humanitarian values, like ocean safety and kind of accessibility for all and that the ocean should be an accessible uh, natural resource for all. And yeah. uh, that's something that I, I definitely have started to notice and be more cognizant of as I've gotten older and, and kind of stepped into that role as a junior lifeguard coach. Yeah, that's really neat. And as you, as you say that, another thing popped in my mind too, which is like the, the aspect of, of like gender equality in, in surf lifesaving is strong. It's like even down to like this six-year-old Groms on up, I think to your level, you know, it's like men and women are all the same. Everybody's cheering for each other. There's no, I, that I can detect that I'd be interested to hear your opinion too, like any kind of inequality or focus on one group versus the other. I mean, how, what do you think about that? I, that's so great that you mentioned that because I've definitely taken that as one of the, like one of, um, I wouldn't call it an, an issue, but something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. And I think that that is partly based on the way that my parents raised me, but also that in conjunction with growing up as a junior lifeguard and a lifeguard competitor, because on the East Coast, we get sometimes very little entries into a race like my local lifeguard tournament we do a paddleboard relay and so that we have daylight because we're doing it after work we run the men and the women at the same time and my rookie year I we won the board race for the board uh, relay for the women's team teams and I remember coming in and being like dad dad I won like I helped win this race the girls and I won isn't that so cool? I led the board relay and I was in second the whole way and behind one of the guys and blah, blah, blah. And, and my dad was like, you didn't win. You still had one more boy to beat. <laughs> and that was a big moment for me. I was 15 years old. And, and the next year I was like, you know what? I have to win this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I wasn't there this year. And so, um, I'm not sure the girls were as like on that, like, let's beat the boys. Like, I think the girls were kind of like, let's just like chill and we can like easily sweep this because we got a lot of paddlers from HLA. Um, <laughs> on that, we have to win the whole thing. And all the girls would get super fired up and it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's way cool. And so now, I mean, we're, oh, geez, less than a week really away from, you know, uh, U.S. Uh, national, you know, um, competition, and and you're heading out for that as well. Yeah, I'll head out Monday night. I'll take the red eye. Yeah, cool. So you know, part of what I'm curious about too is like the training aspect of of, of for your disciplines because they're you're you you have to be fast running and you have to be fast paddling. Two very different disciplines, training regiments. You have a craft. You have your legs. Um, I mean, first, what's your approach to training? I mean, you've just finished at Stanford. You've been in school cranking. You're now working really, you know, you're super busy building a company. So not a lot of time in your hands. So how do you fit in uh, training for both those very different disciplines? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is like kind of, this is where we kind of dive into like, oh my God, Amanda is so nerdy. It makes sense that she is Stanford. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> When people ask me this, I always say that I've every summer I'll try something different or every, you know, winter because I'll start training in January. I'll start easing in and I try something different for like a few years so that I can. The goal was always to have it optimized for when I graduated from school because I knew I was going to be the busiest and I wasn't going to have one class in the morning and then the rest of the day to go to Santa Cruz and paddle. And so I've kind of worked these past few years at Stanford to optimize the kind of the most impactful amount of training in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. And I think I've kind of figured out that, you know, I, I do in the past, I've done a lot of sprints on the track. I've done a lot of work in the gym. I've done a lot of 5 a.m. paddles in Half Moon Bay um, on my paddleboard because my surf ski is way too big to fit in my dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually, I usually kind of get that work in when I get home in the summer. But 
for this summer in particular, I've kind of figured out a way to, you know, paddling the ski and paddling the board feel like, like I said, getting right back on a bicycle for me after years and years of working on them and years and years of paddling. And so for this year, it's been a little bit special where I've been able to wake up every single morning. I live in the most amazing neighborhood in San Francisco, right next to a track. So I wake up in the morning, I run to the track, get my sprints done. Um, they're, the workouts are very similar to the coaching style of Brett Robinson at um, Corumbin Surf Lifesaving Club in Australia. Um, I lived there for a couple of months and was training with him yeah. two years ago. And so I'll do that in the morning. I'll do a little bit of gym work. Um, right now, <laughs> I'm kind of on that bootstrapping startup budget. So I have a bunch of little kettlebells in my backyard <laughs> and I'll do my kettlebell work because the gym membership comes when you raise a seed round. Uh, <laughs> and then on weekends or like Friday afternoons when I'm kind of clocking out, um, I'll get my board and I'll go almost drown at Ocean Beach or I'll get in the car and drive to Lindemar uh, or just go to a place where there's waves and I'll paddle and surf for two or three hours just like catching a wave racing out back catching Mm -hmm. a wave racing out the back and that's I'm getting speed through the uh through the surf I'm like practicing my wave riding um and I'm also getting some cardio in it too so it's and it's really it's a great uh relaxing thing to do after a hard week of work yeah no I love that that one too is like um sprinting out catching a wave, turning around, spring back out. It's like, it's a fun way to get a workout in. Cause sometimes, you know, workouts aren't really that fun. Like if you're just running or you're just doing long paddles or sprint paddling or sprint intervals along a line of buoys or something, you know, maybe for some people that's fun for me, that's not fun. It's work and that's cool. And you got to put it in, but when you can actually add some waves, which is fun, <laughs> it makes yeah. the whole thing way more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And don't get me <laughs> wrong. For I've, me anyway. I've, I've put my time in doing the like, fart like paddle board and ski paddle flat water grinds I used to do those all the time like four days a week like doubled with my track workouts and then my gym stuff and I was grinding away these past four years trying to figure out how can I be the most fit and the most ready for nationals while dedicating the least amount of time like how can I optimize this yeah And I think this summer I finally kind of found that answer Um, because it's not that I'm not working hard. I'm just like working so incredibly hard in the hour and a half that I have every morning to run. Right, right. Well, that's cool. I mean, after all these years of doing it, you know, there's never like you're constantly learning, you know, and even like for me, prone paddling, I've been doing it forever and I'm still learning new like little trips and ticks and tips and tricks of ways to like just squeeze everything I can out of the time I have and you're doing the same thing you know and it's and so you're feeling good about nationals next week basically yeah feeling really good regionals was definitely definitely not only was a great way to see my friends but definitely a confidence booster for me I was very nervous I mean obviously I had broken it down in my analytical mind that this is what should work um but you never know for certain until you put it into practice. And so it was it was really great to see it come together. Yeah, right on. And so we were talking about you the other night. I spoke with Ryan Peraz and Ryan Buell. And, and Ryan Buell's like this historian of surf life-saving competition. Yeah. It's crazy the facts, the factoids he's got buried away. But one of those was where you came up in terms of like the double-double, right? Trying um, to win both the prone you know, prone women's and then beach flags. And you are still tracking to get there. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was really close two years ago last year, not as close. Um, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself for that last year. And I think the difference this year, I mean, if you said this to me like two weeks ago before regionals, I would have been like, whoa, whoa, I haven't been training on the board. Uh, (laughs) But I think I'm in a better headspace to do that now. And if if that's if that's what's supposed to happen, that's what's gonna happen. And 
Um, I think that I take my flags extremely seriously, uh, but I've kind of come to a point where I just love everything about racing. And so I just really love the board race. And so if it happens, it would be really, really cool. Um, and I'd definitely be in the right headspace for it. Uh, but if not, you know, it's still my favorite race. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. But what you're talking about, too, is kind of something that I'm always fascinated to get people's perspective on, which is the headspace, the mental aspect of all of this stuff. Um, and I swear, people listening who listen to podcasts regularly, it's like, I'm like a broken record. But <laughs> that it's, it's so fascinating to me personally, because it's like if you're going to paddle 32 miles across the Molokai Channel, there's this mental aspect of doing that. If you're going to compete on the national level in a three-minute board race or you know 45-minute hour-long sort of beach flags um, competition, there's a mental aspect to that too. So and now here you are talking about that, but also you're building a company. So I'm just curious, you know, Amanda, like how you set your mind straight when you're and, and about to go get into one of these, you know, these things that are super important to you. These either comp- competing, um, getting through school, building a company, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, big I, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, I think racing has kind of helped me with my headspace for work um it's been it's been really hard to have a schedule considering i'm working for myself and so training and racing has kind of built in a schedule for me um and that's having a set schedule is something that's so important to me and so important to my headspace and and that also plays into the beach flags as well i mean on one hand i've been doing beach flags since i was like over 15 years now and so, I mean, that's even longer than a lot of competitors my age in Australia. And, you know, I lay down in the sand and you'd think like, oh, same thing, just like the bicycle, you get up, you turn around and go. But there is so much meticulous mental energy put into everything with the beach flags and a board race and everything. And I, I think for me, that really comes down to schedule. And I think that that really, like, I'm a very... Like, while I'm kind of, all my friends are like, oh, she's the surfer girl. She's chill at school. Um, (laughs) I think that's quite the opposite. I'm super, super organized (laughs) and super, super meticulous. And that might be on the outside, but on the inside, everything is, is very purposeful. And I think, again, being really thoughtful is another thing that gets me into the right headspace, kind of not acting out of intention and Mm. having every action have a purpose. And I'm speaking in generalizations because all of these really apply to everything. I mean, the way that I will walk back at the end of a beach flags run is with the same intent as every word that I draft in an email. So that's your approach is you're, like you said, you're super meticulous and you just highly focused, you know? And so then how about, like, what's the different, I mean, even down to the point of, let's say, the board race, right, where technique plays a big thing. It looks like you just get out there and the person who can move their arms the fastest is the winner. But really, there's a lot of other aspects to it. There's running, there's seeing the water, there's getting on your board, there's your stroke, there's, you know, reading the water, all those other things. So then when you're out there on a board race paddling, I mean, are you in that same um, kind of Zen focus of like, even down the individual stroke and making sure that you're reaching or pulling or however, you know, you've set yourself up to do it correctly? I think when I was younger, I was definitely more, I used to count when I would paddle just to give myself kind of like a rhythm. Um, And now that's kind of implicit um there's certain things that i'll do at certain points in the race and and your daughters probably hear me say this all the time like Mm. never go around the cans on your knees always drop down to your stomach yeah and and always just get as fast as you can into the water as fast as your legs will carry you and then skim as far as you can um things like that that i think were more they were more talking to myself while I was paddling or mm. keeping an internal rhythm and counting and thinking to myself, okay, now I need to get back up, down onto my stomach. Got to get around the cans. Now that's kind of turned into this more like implicit schedule and like, okay, mm. this is the race that I'm doing. I've thought about this so much yeah. for such a long time 
that I know exactly what my schedule is. And I've seen so many different types of conditions that I can look out on the water and say, okay, this condition was just like the time I paddled at the main beach lifeguard tournament on Long Island, New York in three years ago. And that's what I did there and it worked there. So I'm going to do the same thing today. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's way cool. Cause I was speaking again to going to April Gorman, who started guard junior guards and competing when she was 16. You who were much younger, like got really serious, like way, you know, years before that. And there's like the wisdom kind of experience, ex- experience level that you know you're you're falling back on today or not falling back on it's there for you whenever you need it you know you can you can pull out past experiences and leverage those to deal with what's in front of you right now you know that's that's really cool to be able to do so then take us back to the early days i mean tell us about where you're from and what that ocean environment was like and the guards program and everything yeah yeah some of my the greatest memories of my entire life are junior guards. Um, So I grew up on the eastern end of Long Island in New York. Um, I grew up in East Hampton, a pretty famous surf town called Montauk, uh, just 20 minutes Mm. east of me. Um, And in my opinion, I think we have one of the greatest junior lifeguard programs in the entire world. Yeah. And, you know, we do Saturday and Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., And we have all of the lifeguards as instructors, but also there are a lot of parents that were inspired by their children. Like my dad uh, became a lifeguard after my brother and I were in the program because he wanted to be our instructor. He was a lifelong surfer and he was like, why shouldn't I take my lifeguard test? So there's a lot of um, mothers and fathers that are surfers or swimmers or other types of ocean athletes and they'll take their lifeguard test so that they can come and give their time to the program as well. So every Saturday and Sunday morning, uh, there's a couple different beaches. We have it at there's, um, there's three different beaches and all of these community leaders kind of from, like I said, these ocean athletes and these parents to rookie lifeguards are coming together every weekend morning, the end of June, to the beginning of August to teach. We have a really great focus on ocean safety. Um, we never started out with a competitive focus. Um, and so that was, I think, I mean, I only did junior guards because my dad was like, if you're going to surf big waves in Puerto Rico, uh, which is where some of my family is from, then you got to do the junior guard program because otherwise I'm not letting you out of my sight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and which is, I think, probably true for a lot of the kids in Santa Cruz as well. But I just, I really fell in love with not only the mission of ocean safety, but also the competitive aspect. I had been a swim, I'd been on the swim team for years. I ran like little track and little lacrosse, but this was the thing. Like I, I remember doing my first competition. I was doing beach flags actually. And I beat all the boys and I was like, yep, this is my thing. I like this. And I was like, (laughs) six or seven years old. Um, No way. (laughs) And that kind of turned into, you know, I was, oh my God, I was, so I was 11, my, I'll go through all of this like super abridged, but I was, I was 11. My babysitter at the time was trying to make the U.S. national team. She had never won beach flags and um, my parents were working and my mom would send me with my babysitter and she'd be like, come on, kid, we're going training. She was also my junior lifeguard instructor. Um, oh, so I'm cool. 11 years old and she's making me run hill repeats with her and practice beach flag starts. And then and then she goes to my parents. She's like, so I'm going to take her down in the nationals in Florida. And my parents are like, what? There's nationals? No <laughs> way. We go down there the same year that she won her first open national title and got selected to go to Japan and South Africa with the national team, I won my first C group beach flags title. Oh, that's cool. And that was a really special thing and that kind of propelled it forward. And then that led me to a lot of other really prominent community mentors. We had this, the former captain of Ditch Plains, which is the most dangerous beach on the Eastern end of Long Island, tons of rip currents, the most saves always. He was the captain there in Montauk, and he was a crazy prone paddler. 
he had moved out to California and done a bunch of races in LA and then moved back. And, and when I was 13, I got a job sweeping the floor of a surf shop for like a dollar bill, like every day. <laughs> and before work every morning, like, I mean, my work started at like 8.30 a.m. Like this was crazy for a 13-year-old. And yeah. he was like, meet me down at ditch, 6.30 a.m. with a paddleboard, and I will paddle with you for two hours. And we went in and out in the surf, and we went for like six-mile paddles on the 10.6. And, and that was really where this kind of love of training and bug for training started. So, yeah. and then another mentor on the surf ski a couple years later, I'm, I'm 16. I really want to make my first national team. There's this guy who had done, he's done Molokai on a stand-up board a bunch of times. He paddles outrigger. He is like, yeah, let's go down there. I'll help you with the surf ski. And we paddled ski every like three mornings a week for like months getting wow. me ready to make the national, the junior national team, which I did. And um, so we we were really community focused as you guys are in Santa Cruz. And that's not only impacted my uh, kind of growth in the sport, but also really impacted me in the classroom as well, because there were these mentors that I had that were like, oh, no, you're not going to swim practice and then paddle training after if you don't finish your homework first. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so like key. And I'm looking back at my own past. And as you're mentioning, how fortunate people are, who we are to have mentors like that in the water, because there's I mean, think about all the beaches in the world or in the states and stuff where, you know, they don't have a program, they might have lifeguards, they might not have a junior lifeguard program. Um, but people and adults really willing to give back to the next generation, like with what you're doing, when you come to Santa Cruz, you're getting all the kids out there. It's just like it, it fires up the kids, you know, because they love doing this stuff. But when they have some uh, like a positive mentor who's teaching them not only technique, but also just like motivation and, and self-confidence, you know, it's just like, I mean, you're, you're a prime story of, of how that's helped propel you to where you are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I take my time every time I go home uh, to thank all these people because they have no idea what they did. Yeah. They were just helping out a little kid. Mm, yeah, that's cool. So then you, you, you start doing the national events down there on the East Coast and then made the junior national team. Um, and then did you, I mean, it sounds like you always, you continue to build your sights towards like, you know, the national team. And so when did that, you, when did you first make, you know, the, the full on national team? Yeah. So I went on my first uh, junior national team trip when I was 16. It was my senior year of high school. Got to go to the world championships in France. It was awesome. Oh, cool. I got fourth place in the beach flags there. And I told everyone that I was bad at beach flags. I was like, I'm a board paddler. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I did. I made the final on the board as well. So everyone believed me until we did the beach flags. And then they were like, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and then I, again, went on a junior national trip to Australia the year after, but we were all set to go to Australia. They'd picked the team before nationals and I entered the open women's flags. And I, I mean, you can ask my parents, we have no idea how it happened. I ended up winning the open flags. That was 2015. Wow. Um, and I was 17 years old. It, it was honestly, I, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I wish I could. I just kind of, think I put on cruise control and just kind of went for it. Um, but I yeah. definitely, I faced off with one of my idols from Smith Point, New York in the final. Um, and that, that was crazy. And then that year they were like, okay, you can do the junior team this year. Like we already picked the team and everything like, but next year we're going to need you for worlds. Um, and so I went to, uh, open worlds as an 18 year old um actually yeah an 18 year old because it was um it was uh before october and i raced at the world championships in the netherlands cool. and ended up getting sixth in the open women's flags which was really 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 cool that was my yeah. first like big time international race aside from the junior stuff 
Um, and, and then it just kind of, after that, I went to, um, went to Japan twice. I've been to New Zealand to race. I lived in Australia last year for two years ago for six months. And, um, yeah, a lot of really cool experiences. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. Did you ever consider like make a, like trying to make a career out of it, like going to Australia and like, you know, getting on the, the, the circuit and trying to make some money? I love that you brought that up because this is something that if any kid asks me, this is like the greatest thing you ever learned from surf lifesaving. This is like, this is it. So I had this conversation with my parents. I think my freshman or sophomore year of college, I wanted to take a gap year and go race in Australia, but I was 17 years old and my parents were like, I I went to college really young and, and they were like, there's no way you're going to be 17 years old by yourself running around the Gold Coast of Australia. <laughs> you can go after when you graduate when you're 21. Um, and then my parents were like, wait a minute. She's going to graduate from Stanford. She's totally not going to tell us about any of these crazy opportunities she might have because she's going to want to go to Australia. <laughs> so we made this deal that my junior year of school, instead of going abroad, instead of going to Italy with my sorority sisters or <laughs> going, going to going hiking in Chile with the geology professor. Um, I would take the winter of my junior year off. I would go remote for half of the fall. So I actually started in the classroom for five weeks at Stanford and then switched everything to online, which was oh, cool. crazy. Um, and then took the winter off and raced for, uh, did a lot of those professional races in Australia. And I really, it, it wasn't, I wasn't in the right headspace. That was, yeah. that's a perfect way to say it. I mean, I, the training lifestyle didn't really work for me. Um, I was waking up in the morning to train. I was so tired all day. And then I would go to training in the afternoon and go to sleep. And I was like, I'm even too tired to read books and and I'm not using my mind in a way that I love to use it. And so I ended up getting a job. It was crazy. I I started working for a early stages fintech company in Sydney. So I was like one week on in Sydney, two weeks off training on the Gold Coast. Um, That was really cool. I got some really great work experience. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, Got my first little taste of the startup startup lifestyle with that because uh, I was the fifth employee. Um, they had just raised a seed round, so that was pretty cool. But um, I definitely, I definitely kind of gained this nuanced perspective on all of it. Like, you know, if I'm gonna do surf life saving, it has to supplement something else because it's really a magnifier. Like it makes everything else in my life so much better. It can't be the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But it's like, what's neat is you have the opportunity to go find that out, you know? Um, and because sometimes you think you know what you want, but until you go do it, you're not really quite sure. And, and like you, like that sounded killer. You went out there and trained, you're like, man, there's more I want out of life. And what you've done now is you found a really cool balance. I'm sure it's hectic at times, but that sounds like what you're doing today has got that really nice balance for you, you know? That's exactly it. And that's why I kind of describe it as this magnifier, because I think one without the other, like my work life without life saving or life saving without my work life, it would it would be imbalanced. And so it's definitely proved itself to be the perfect balancing act or that magnifier that just makes everything better. And and like I said, I am the nerdiest person ever. And I love working on crazy projects and doing like crazy product design and I love building things and and so maybe I could have found that in like I could have been shaping surfboards in Australia or I could have been I don't know I could have been building things but I needed something else yeah Uh, and of course coincidentally I ended up working for a startup so that definitely set me on another path (laughs) yeah for sure so then when did you so talk like speaking of like building things and you know uh you know you've also hooked up with with buell surf rescue which their you know their core mission uh is to really provide equipment for the next generation of you know competitive um you know surf life-saving athletes and so how did you how did it come to be you you started to do some work with them 
Yeah, so this is actually so funny, like the power of social media, right? I mean, um, I was at school, I was at Stanford, um, my fall of my junior year, I was about to head out to Australia like two weeks later, and someone had told Duke, oh, you should reach out to Amanda Calabrese, she does a lot of coaching, something like that, or she she won a bunch of beach flags things, and and so Duke messaged me on Instagram and was like, hey, like, been like been hearing I should reach out to you, um, want to set up a call or something, like, would love to kind of get your story and whatever. And I emailed back, I, I messaged back, and I was like, why don't I just come down to the shop? I'm in Santa Cruz every morning because yeah. I, I surf every morning before no class. Way. And he was like, whoa, you're in Santa Cruz? And so... Um, that first meeting really laid the foundation for a lot of the goals that we had had when I came back in the spring. And that's when we really started doing those champ camps. And when I really started to getting to know the kids and getting to know a lot of the local families. And, and that was kind of when Santa Cruz started to really feel like that community that I was missing at home. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's neat. And so day to day, I mean, you come down um, and you, you spend quite a few hours with the kids doing, you know, beach workouts, beach flags, you know, paddle techniques, you know, on the, on the prone board and everything. And the kids really have a, a fun time and they respond really well to you. And I remember being out one day at Cal's with you, taking some pictures and just kind of being a little bit closer to watching your interaction with the kids. And one thing I noted too, I really liked was you had no, you had a really nice flow and a constant stream of like things to do, tips and techniques and everything. And it was like, it feels like you, it looked like you really enjoy interacting with the kids like that. Yeah, I think, I think that comes from trying to squeeze as much as we possibly can into Saturday and Sunday mornings in New York. Um, yeah. Cause I've been a junior guard instructor since I was, um, I think 14 or 15. Oh, yeah, cause wow. our program maxes out at it used to max out at 14 um okay. the laws changed in new york you can't be a 15 year old lifeguard anymore um <laughs> but <laughs> when i was 15 years old you could you could guard a bay and so um i jumped on and was coaching the eight and nine year olds when i was 15 years old and so there's kind of this rush to get as much as you possibly can in on saturday and sunday mornings and so i think I, I want to maximize their time the best that I can. And and I also, I really enjoy working with the kids as, like, with all ages. I like treating them like, I know sometimes, like, they say teachers shouldn't really treat their students like they're friends or something like that. But I really like having that relationship with the kids. Like, they see me as someone that they can trust. They see me as a friend and almost down to like I get calls sometimes for kids asking me to help them with their math homework. Oh, I got cool. uh, a Santa <laughs> Cruz girl. She did a class presentation about why she wanted to be an engineer and why she wanted to go to Stanford and yeah. how girls should be engineers. Um, and I love being able to say like, "How's school going?" and and what's your favorite subject in class? Oh, you you think you're bad at math? There's no way you're bad at math. Oh, you think you're bad at math because you're a girl? That's just not true. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, the more positive mentors for men, young men and women, um, it's just there's not enough of them. And so I, I think that's cool what you're doing, and you take it serious, and it's rad. And I know that um, I give a lot of credit to Duke too here in Santa Cruz for making that program and then finding awesome um, mentors like you and, you know, Brian, Brian Peraz has been out here doing some work with the kids and April Gorman, just great people who love giving back and are just. Uh, just positive figures in the, you know, in, in life, but also the competitive surf life-saving space. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been great to be a part of it all. Yeah. Right on now. And then finally, I mean, we've been dancing around the topic of Stanford and you building a company and here you are, I mean, you're in this, you're in San Francisco. Um, you're not there training for us nationals. You're doing something else. So, so what are you doing up there? Well, you're building a company. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, um, Stanford is just the most amazing place in the entire world to decide that you want to build a company. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, the fall of my senior year, my friend and I, um, we kind of stumbled upon this class, 
where they let us hypothetically build any company that we wanted over 10 weeks and then present it to a panel of Sand Hill Road venture capitalists, yeah, uh, cool. most notorious of the gang. And we decided that we were like, feminine hygiene is broken, um, especially for female athletes. Female yeah. athletes uh, constantly worry about their tampons leaking in the most important moments of their sporting careers, as well as professional business women as well, yeah. and, and high performance women in general. But we decided to kind of take this issue of performance and feminine hygiene that really led us to tampons leaking before they were full. Mm-hmm. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, hey, wait, we're mechanical engineers. We can fix this. We can solve uh-huh. this. And so we worked really hard to redesign the tampon, uh, like fluid mechanically, in a way where it would be a more reliable, trust-focused product, um, especially for female athletes and professional businesswomen. And at the end of that class, we pitched our product and these VCs were like, go get a patent, go do this for real. And we're like, really? Are you sure? And they were like, go do it, go figure it out. And so that was fall of two, that was uh, December, 2018. And we have not stopped working since my co-founder Greta Meyer and I. Um, And so we, we kind of worked part-time, like we did school part-time and then we did this part-time, even though both were supposed to be (laughs) full-time. And so we grinded until graduation. And then the Monday after graduation, so June 16th, we decided to go full time on Tempo. We got a little dollhouse in San Francisco and we've been working out of here, going to meetings and figuring out our patent and uh, getting manufacturers set up in Europe. Um, And we are, our design is completely proprietary we're getting patents on it right now, and we're all set to launch our product early 2020 uh, overseas in Europe while we work on regulatory stuff here. So I have just been kind of drinking out of a fire hose right now. Just um, my background's in mechanical engineering and product design, but this is also this product is a consumer goods. It's yeah. a direct-to-consumer model. It's a medical device. And so I've just been, like I said, drinking out of that fire hose, learning about FDA regulations and packaging and how to use Shopify and building a website and (laughs) marketing materials and interviewing women. And and it's just been incredible. We're, um, We're about to kind of raise around to get ready to sign these manufacturing contracts and get everything moving. Um, so it's a really exciting time. That is so cool. I just admire you so much for doing that. I mean, there's so many cool ideas people have, me included, and it's one thing to have a cool idea and another one, it's an entirely another thing to actually move on it, you know, and, and, and take the leap of faith. Cause there's, I, I'm, I know for a fact, you know, I'm just guessing, but there was a time when you weren't sure, is this the right thing to do? There's so much unknown. You just don't know, but you guys said, we're doing it. And now here you are. And you know, it, the, the path itself is just long and tedious, but just like with your training and getting to where you're at at a high level of competition on the beach, this is no different, you know? Um, so I think that's awesome what you guys are doing. And the, 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 what you're doing, the product itself is just rad as a father of two athletic girls. And I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, of feminine hygiene to that level, but I do know that those things, you know, that, is an inhibitor of sorts of you know women pushing it like you said in the business environment but also uh athletically yeah so i mean rad what you're doing one of our one of our things that we really like to talk about about you know kind of why this is really important and especially in the realm of sports women so most women that are in the c-suite that are ceos and coos and leading companies and leaving leading corporations um were either collegiate athletes or extremely high level high school athletes. And so you tend to see this drop off in for girls in sports around the time that they begin to when they get their period and, and they begin to have to go through puberty. And so our mission is really, it's really long term, right? It's, it's let's keep these girls in sports. Because we know there's a link between strong 
females in athletics taking on positions of leadership in business. Yeah. And let's kind of bridge that gap where girls are dropping out of sports because they don't have a reliable product when the that time of the month comes around. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. I mean, in theory, what you're setting out to do is keeping is is basically growing women's sports by providing a product that doesn't like turn them off to being athletic because of this thing they've got, you know, what, what's, you know, what's happening, you know, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. We really like to say that we, uh, our, our dream is to even the playing field and yeah. our first step is working on the tampon. Solid. Solid. That's awesome. Well, I, nothing but good luck coming your way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, next time you're down in Santa Cruz and you need a paddle or something, don't even worry about bringing a board. We got all that stuff here. If you ever want to get in the water, um, and thank you so much for sharing your time and stories with us. Super inspired. I feel like paddling and working out and starting my own next phase of the podcast business after talking to you and everything. So <laughs> thanks for calling <laughs> me up. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck next week at nationals and good luck with tempo. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening uh, to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you, and uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share about their ocean life, please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, Email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.